Hey guys, it's a great day to live for Jesus. My name is Pastor Mike Grover, and this is the In the Word podcast, a twice-weekly devotional journey through the New Testament, where together we will stop, look, and learn what the Lord has to say to us today. So we are in the Word today in Matthew chapter 18 as we continue on our journey through the New Testament. And uh, this chapter has so much going on, so I'm just going to jump right in. In verse 1, it says, At the same time came the disciples to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive such one such little child in my name receives me, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now the passage continues on this subject of the little child through verse number 14. The background is this. The disciples are with Jesus and they ask him this question. It's who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now they seem to be preoccupied with this question because although Matthew, um, excuse me, Mark and Luke in chapter 9 both give the parallel account of this question, over in Luke chapter 22, which is a different context, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, you find them asking this same question again. And so you have this this hang up with this greatness in the kingdom. Now, some of that is because the Jewish notion that when the Messiah came, he would deliver them from their Roman oppressors physically. And so they saw themselves probably as being part of this earthly kingdom that they even still referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus answers them with an object lesson. And it says in verse 2, he calls a little child to him and he sets him in the midst of them. Now Mark goes a little further and says he takes this child up into his lap. He holds him. And Jesus says to them, except you become converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he kind of backs up a little bit. They're asking who is greatest in the kingdom. Well, Jesus isn't even assuming yet their place within the kingdom. And he doesn't begin by telling them how to be greatest in the kingdom. He actually backs up and says, unless you're like this child, you can't even enter into the kingdom, let alone be the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, except you be converted and become as little children. So Jesus immediately makes a very clear point here that it is not in the natural nature of man to live within the kingdom of heaven. It's exactly what he said to Nicodemus over in John chapter 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the reality is we have to be fitted for the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't say we get into the kingdom of heaven by imitating children. Some have taken it that way. No, what he's actually saying is the nature of this child is more closely to the nature of the kingdom. And you're not going to have this nature unless something happens in you first. 
Now let's deal with this idea of children being humble, right? Uh, as children get older, and they're anything but humble, they can become very self-centered, very selfish, very wanting their way over others. So my assumption would be we're talking about a very small child here. We're talking about a child that is very much in a place of dependency and unable to do for themselves. Maybe maybe there is, um, maybe it's a um, toddler, maybe one just barely being able to walk, maybe uh, took him from his mother and held him. I, I don't know. I know Jesus has a lot to say about the importance of children. Over in Matthew 19, he said, um, allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. So the object lesson is the child. First of all, if our nature isn't changed, we can't even enter into the kingdom. And then he goes on to talk about the nature of the kingdom. So in verse 3, it's except you be converted as this child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then in verse 4, it's whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom. So to get into the kingdom, man, we have to become converted and take on a new nature as a child of God. Once we are converted and a part of the family of God, well, how do we live then? We live as children, humbling ourselves in the kingdom. The greatest, he said, is the one that serves. Man, children are approachable, right? Uh, children are trusting. Children are dependent, especially small children. So really, this nature of the kingdom, the first part of his answer is, you need to be like a child. And I thought, you know, to be like a child, think of it this way. You have to quit thinking about who's the greatest in the kingdom to be the greatest in the kingdom. Because children aren't walking around preoccupied with social status. Man, they're just looking to have their needs met and they realize that, man, they are dependent. So he kind of shifts gears. So he answers the question with the example of humility. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, And whoso shall receive one such little child uh, in my name receives me. So once again, the importance on children to Jesus, but there's a little shift in gear here from a literal child to maybe the application of a child of God at any age. Because in verse 6, he says, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believes in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So I think he got some parallel tracks here. Yet the one track of how we treat children and the importance of children to the Lord, that goes without being said. You see that all over. Even James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. The vulnerable are important to the Lord. The outcast, the child, the widow. Man, God has a heart for the vulnerable. And so he shifts gears to a larger picture of the treatment of his people. And really in, verses, in verse 7, he talks about persecution, about the offenses we face in the world. But he basically says, don't worry about that because the one who offends you, the one who comes against you in persecution as my child, man, they're going to receive judgment. And then, so it's like he's talking about humility as part of being greatest in the kingdom. 
Then our treatment of children, you got some compassion entering into who is greatest in the kingdom. Now you got some purity entering into it because in verse 8 he says, if your hand or your foot offends you or causes you to sin, cut them off and cast them from you for it's better for you to enter into life crippled or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And in verse 9 he says the same thing about our eyes. So he uses hyperbole here to show us the importance of purity within the kingdom of God. He said, if, if the most important things on you, your hands, your feet, your eyes, are going to cause you to sin and miss the kingdom, cut them off. Now, he's not literally saying there, if you're being tempted with your eye to go get a knife and gouge it out. He's using hyperbole here. What he's saying, there's nothing in life that's so important as to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven. But verse 10, he turns back to the discussion of the little one. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So who's greatest in the kingdom? It's the humble one, the compassionate one, the pure one, the one who's living in purity. It sounds a lot like James, pure religion and undefiled. Visit the fatherless, the widows, and their affliction. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. And, and so you kind of have this parallel path going on. Some commentators say it even goes here to talk about how we as Christians treat other Christians. And so, and then in verse 11, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How think you if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and goes into the mountains and seeks that which has gone astray? And if so be he find it, truly I say to you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Back to the child here, verse 14. Even so, it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, who are the little ones that might perish? Well, it tells us in verse 6. It's the ones that believe in his name. So some have said here he's not talking about the one going astray in the sense of an evangelistic need of being saved like in another place in Luke. He's talking about one of God's own going astray. Don't despise us. Spurgeon said, you know, sometimes we despise the one because they're only one. He says sometimes we despise the one because they're a little one. And he said sometimes we despise them because they've gone astray. And we look down on the brother or sister who's gone astray. So there's a lot to chew on here in answering. Greatest in the kingdom, there's humility, there's compassion, there's purity, there's uh, how we treat one another, preferring one another. So, so much there as we discover the doctrine in that passage. But the thing that really jumped out to me today as I read this passage was God's heart for children. And man, you cannot escape that. Even if they're just a picture of the believer here, man, despising a child uh, that believes in the Lord, offending one, causing them to go astray, man, Think about the mistreatment of children, whether it's abuse, I mean, direct physical act of abuse, whether it's neglect. And by the way, you know, we think of neglecting children in the physical sense, but what about the spiritual sense? Man, what about people in their heart and their love for God or churches that don't put a very high priority on ministry to children don't despise ministry to children man you see the kids running around tearing up the place don't despise them they're valuable to god 
man, put a high priority on ministry to kids. Be thankful for those volunteers. Hey, go a step further. Show your love for those same children of Jesus by volunteering yourself and taking a turn. Maximizing, praying for kids' ministry. Man, so important. And we neglect, there's neglect, spiritual neglect, there's abuse. But then here's the one, man, let's just deal with it. Abortion. What a heinous and horrible thing abortion is. For our own freedom, our own desire, our own happiness, we absolutely, man, neglect the most vulnerable of all, and that is a child in the womb. Now, I don't know where you are in your walk and understanding of Scripture, and maybe you've bought into the line, well, life doesn't begin until birth. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches life begins at the moment of conception. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 41, it's talking about Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and she's pregnant with John, and Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, comes to her, her cousin, and as she comes in the room, the Bible says that the baby leaped in her womb. John the Baptist in the womb is referred to as a baby and the word for baby there is the same word that's used for a born baby. So God calls that child, that fetus in the womb, a baby. That's what the Bible teaches. I love what God said to Jeremiah about this in Jeremiah chapter 1 in verse 5. He said, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, and before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God said before we were even formed in the womb, he already knew us. And then he said before we came out of the womb, talking specifically to Jeremiah here, he said, I already had a purpose for you. I already sanctified you. He said, I already ordained you to be a prophet. He's saying to Jeremiah, the purpose of being a prophet, God, I gave that to you when you were still in the womb. Man, God views that child in the womb as precious and purposeful and with meaning. And Psalm 139, 13, it says, you formed me, my inward parts, you knitted me together in the womb. Or some place it says you covered me in the womb. Well, the word translated covered is the idea of covering that has been knitted together. It's the idea of God knitting that child together and then protecting it in the womb. So who's greatest in the kingdom? It's the one that has humility and compassion, purity, concern for preferring others. But let's just apply this to the bigger picture here. God loves children. We ought to love children. We ought to be the greatest defenders of life, whether in the womb or outside of the womb. So Christian, don't fall into a lie that you have a choice in the matter of how to view this. God, in no uncertain terms, shows us clearly the value of life in the womb, and let's place that same value on life ourselves. So what's the word for the day? You want to be great in God's eyes? That's a good thing. You want to be great in the kingdom? Well, make sure in your pursuit of following in Jesus Christ, you put a high priority on the defense, the protection, and the pouring into of children for the Lord. 
Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey together through the New Testament.